0: Hi everyone, my name is Dr. Mark Eatonson. Welcome to Heal NPD. We're all familiar with the stereotype of the vain narcissist continually scanning their body for imperfections. A great example might be Rob Lowe's character of Chris Trieger from the television show Parks and Recreation. In one episode, Lowe's character gets sick with the flu and he's scandalized by the loss of control that he experiences over his body. Uh, in one particularly funny scene, Lowe talks to himself in the mirror and commands his body to Stop pooping. But all jokes aside, is there merit to the stereotype? In this episode, we'll discuss illness, anxiety, and NPD, providing a psychodynamic description that goes far beyond caricatures of vanity. For many individuals with pathological narcissism, fears about health represent underlying terror of psychological disintegration. Individuals with pathological narcissism and NPD often suffer from something called illness anxiety. It used to be called hypochondriasis, and it's a lot more than simply checking your tongue in the mirror. Illness anxiety is a diagnosable disorder in the DSM, and it's anxiety about health that significantly affects or disrupts a person's life and relationships. Illness anxiety might happen for a number of reasons, but in narcissism it tends to be caused by deeply felt anxieties about loss of self. In a seminal paper titled Fear of Breakdown, psychoanalyst Donald Winnicott describes what he calls primitive agonies. These include difficult-to-conceptualize experiences like returning to an unintegrated state, falling forever, loss of reality, loss of the capacity to relate to objects, and loss of something called psychosomatic collusion, which is the integration between mind and body. According to Winnicott, these experiences are difficult to imagine because our psychologies have developed to defend against imagining them. They represent unthought anxieties that dwell beneath the defensive structure of personality. They lie outside the reach of our rational minds. Although difficult for our adult minds to comprehend, these primitive agonies are thought to occur regularly in infancy and early childhood when we're just putting together the pieces of a self so imagine building a tower of blocks you know first you begin by stacking one block on top of the other uh, and soon the tower gets too tall and it falls down so maybe you try again and this time you try to be a little bit more careful to better balance the blocks as you go but inevitably the tower falls again so on your third try maybe you create a broader base by using multiple blocks on the first level and now the tower is more stable and you can build taller but still, eventually, it falls. Now let's say you did this all day for a couple of years. Eventually, you'd have a very stable and very tall tower. So this is sort of like how we build a sense of self. Early experience can easily disrupt our rickety block tower of self, causing the pieces to come crashing down. A dirty diaper, the feeling of hunger, fear of separation, having a fever, etc. Babies and young children completely fall apart several times a day, and if we try to project ourselves into their subjective experience, we might imagine that this repeated falling apart is actually horrifying. You completely lose control of yourself, your feelings, your body. Hopefully there's someone there to help put you back together again with patience, care, and empathic understanding. I think there's a reason why Humpty Dumpty, Rockabye Baby, and Jack and Jill are popular nursery rhymes. They all involve themes of falling apart, breaking, and then trying to put ourselves back together again. And on some level, I think we all know that these themes resonate with early experience. When we're building a self, we don't have the conceptual tools or language to understand what's happening. It's part of why we don't really remember those years of our lives. Winnicott theorizes that they're dominated by, quote, unthinkable experiences, so-called because the mind hasn't developed the ability to think about them, to represent them in a meaningful way. They simply happen to us, becoming an indelible aspect of our self-structure. Once built, the self can't really think the experience of not being a self. It's like asking an alive person to imagine what it's like to be dead. It's impossible to imagine non-being. But the legacy of those years of falling apart again and again and again remains in the form of anxiety. If good enough experience prevails in our early years, the anxieties that remain from these so-called primitive agonies tends to be minor. Empathic care and support forms the sort of glue that holds the self together. We're free to focus on other concerns that don't necessarily involve obsessional fears of annihilation. But what if good enough experience didn't prevail? What if there were significant issues in those early years? What if caregivers weren't mentally equipped to provide care? What if they were struggling with their own mental illness? Or if there was significant stress or disruption in the household, like financial insecurity, domestic abuse, substance abuse, a lot of yelling, chaos, or illness? What happens when the already stressful process of building a self is impacted by repeated trauma? Well, try to imagine building a block tower on a table that someone keeps shaking. Imagine how frustrating that would be. Imagine how hard it would be to figure out what configurations worked better than others when someone kept coming by and shaking the table. Developing a self in a poor early care environment is like building a block tower on a shaky table. Not only are the breakdowns more frequent, but the anxiety about falling apart becomes a central aspect of the self-structure that eventually emerges from that process. For individuals with pathological narcissism and NPD, someone kept sort of shaking the table when they were attempting to build a self. The fear of falling apart becomes a central aspect of their self-experience. Part of this is due to Winnicott's primitive agonies and the fear of loss of self. This kind of anxiety is called paranoid anxiety because it focuses on fears of annihilation. And from a developmental perspective, paranoid anxiety is very young. It comes from a part of the self that's not at all sure of its existence, a part that's terrified of losing control, falling apart, coming undone, and falling forever into non-being. Narcissists rely on the false self to cover these anxieties. The false self is developed to compensate for underlying vulnerabilities in the personality. Now, if the false self fails to adequately compensate for the underlying wounds and anxiety, then a collapse occurs, and the narcissist is exposed to the deficits in their self-structure. And we call this a vulnerable phase of the disorder. The narcissistic individual develops a kind of secondary anxiety and this anxiety typically functions in kind of a disguised way as a concrete metaphor or something that psychoanalyst Hannah Siegel called a symbolic equation. The mind doesn't distinguish between the object and its mental representation of the object. In this case, anxiety about the self falling apart is represented by anxiety about the body falling apart and the two become indistinguishable. Now, as I've stated, these anxieties develop before the mind had the ability to represent them with language or to symbolize them to itself with thoughts or context. They simply are. They exist in an unrepresented, unsymbolized form as primitive agonies that surface disguised as fear of breakdown. In his paper on this topic, Winnicott notes that such fears seem like they're about the future. The narcissistic individual with illness anxiety scans their body for signs of impending illness, signs that a breakdown is going to occur sometime in the future. But the actual breakdown that's feared has already occurred. It lives in the past, and it was already survived. So if you identify as someone with pathological narcissism or NPD, and you experience this sort of illness anxiety, know that what you're really afraid of has already happened. These fears are relics of the past, not harbingers of the future. They exist now as well-laid pathways in your deep mind that surface in a disguised form, concrete metaphors for loss of self. You may not be able to change these anxieties. They may be encoded too deeply. But you can reframe these fears as signposts pointing to the past someplace you've already been, rather than warnings about the future. These fears tell a story of survival, not tragedy. They're evidence that you lived. In a previous episode, I discussed resiliency. Your illness anxiety may feel like a weakness. It may make you feel like you can't trust your body, that it's not a safe place. But I wonder what it would be like to reframe these fears, to see them as trophies rather than liabilities. How would it change your feelings about yourself and your body to understand that your anxieties are echoes of a catastrophe that you already survived? See how that makes you feel to reflect on your resiliency in this way. Okay, so that's it for today. Please like, subscribe, and share if you found this helpful. And be sure to leave questions, comments, and suggestions for future episodes. And until next time, take good care. Stop! pooping.